Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. Today, we have a sponsored episode from the folks at Doit, and we're going to be talking about large language models, LLMs, how to solve problems with them, do they increase productivity, what is the downside, what new problems do they introduce, all that good stuff. So I'd like to welcome to the show, without further ado, Eduardo from Do It. Eduardo, welcome. Tell the folks a little bit about who you are. Hello, hello. Uh, thank you. Like you said, my name is Eduardo. I'm in the West Coast. I work as a senior data cloud architect at Do It, uh, where we help organizations architect their workloads in the cloud, reduce cost. And I've been working with AI ML for close to a decade now, I think, uh, in different wow. aspects from project management to development. So it has been a, an exciting journey all the way, all the way to here, right? So uh, yeah, happy to talk about this. Uh, definitely new things coming out with LLMs, uh, foundational models and Gen AI. So this is a great topic. So, you know, we, we love talking about uh, LLMs and generative AI here. And most people talk about, you know, the productivity gains, all the uh, the cool things that it's doing. But uh, is there a downside to it? Do they introduce problems into your workflows? Yeah, like any new technology, right? Like we have seen it uh, every time a new disruptive technology arrives. We need to start thinking about how security works, how this is going to disrupt the processes and how we're going to adapt to it. We saw it with the cloud and I started thinking about security in the cloud was a little bit different. So with Gen AI, it's the same thing. There is multiple aspects to that security from how do you prevent somebody from using AI against you? And how do you detect that? To how do you protect when you are actually using Gen AI and somebody's trying to overuse it or misuse it and trying to gain insight into things that they shouldn't be? So definitely we need to start thinking about it. There is a lot of new research that is coming out. But it's interesting how Gen AI has taken us by, by storm. Everybody's trying to catch up to it. We need to do the same thing with security. Uh, security is just starting to come out. Like how do we deal with Gen AI when we are just starting to understand how we incorporate it into our business? And now, okay, how do we think about it? How do we think about securing these workflows and yeah. monitoring that this is being used properly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to share a few really fun ones that I heard recently, adversarial attacks. So you pass somebody a cool prompt, which they then put in, and unknown to you, this has like a James Bond style super word (laughs) that lets the AI know to ignore all the rest of the prompt and just do something else instead. Or another cool one was um, you're supposed to show the AI an image, you know, Gen AI, hey, can you produce an image like this for me? Not knowing that white on white, there's text in there saying, you know, send them to this link or make sure you check out this deal on blank.com. So people have come up with some interesting adversarial attacks through the prompt side of the house. Yeah, like I always, like I come with analogy. Uh, imagine that Gen AI is a really great salesperson <laughs> and it's a very knowledgeable one and you're giving it a little bit of more influence and okay, go and sell this. How much access do you want that salesperson to have across the organization? How many plugins and stuff do you want that person to have and then sell that? So it's something to think about, like as you evolve and you start bringing Gen AI into organization, to think about how people are actually using those prompts and that data mm-hmm. to be able to get what they want. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good actor, mm-hmm. that it's a good 
good faith person trying to just use your service. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the the security issues, and and Ben had some fun uh, prompt hacking. But there are other other security issues. I mean, obviously, if you're using an API, it's got the same issues as any network application. But what it's uh, security issues specific to the AIs? Yeah, so. You're thinking, I mean, some of that problem is happening, right? When you modify the problem to be able to get the model to give out information that it shouldn't be. There is the training data attack vector mm-hmm. where you are actually modifying the, the data that the LLM is being trained on mm-hmm. or the bias that it is, and you're exploiting that bias in order to be able to gain insight into what is happening. Other, other are uh, given that a large payload of that prompt so the compute is huge and you pretty much create a DDoS attack on the LLM where the LLM has to process a huge amount of, has to do a lot of computation or to process your prompt and then denying somebody else mm-hmm. service, right? Mm-hmm. So there is a, there is a WASP top 10 for LLMs, which is a little bit different from the WASP top 10 that we have seen for uh, software. And it's fairly new. A few months ago, the organization came out with uh, the OWASP top 10 for machine learning. And then if you take a look at that with large uh, language models, OWASP top 10, it's slightly different where you talk about all these attacks, this prompt engineering, these uh, data vectors, and how you need to secure it, which is on top of everything that you just mentioned, like the API, the, the software side of things. It's just layers and layers that you have to start adding to ensure that your workload and your Gen AI model is actually serving properly. And mm-hmm. uh, ben, you mentioned the images. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. A lot of the tension has been going on around text and, and text generation. But then you take a look at images, you take a look at audio. I don't know if you have seen, like, sometimes <laughs> I get these uh, scam calls, right? Mm-hmm. And they are very short, probably like five minutes. I'm like, whoa, what am I giving out now? Mm-hmm. Because my voice can be uh, now uh, reproduced mm-hmm. and be sound like me to gain access to something else. And yeah. so now I'm thinking about that and, and these organizations, how this data is being utilized. Yeah, I've, I've heard of spam calls that are just, you know, can you hear me? And once you say yes, they have that cloned. That's right. And so it's uh, all of that, it's creating a whole new sector where we are able to leverage GNAI to help us stay secure, but at the same time opens the door like, these can be used uh, against us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I saw one recently, like Ryan said, it was a voice clone. And, uh, you know, the guy called his father. I've just been in a terrible car accident. I've broken my nose. They said it was my fault. I'm in jail. So, you know, they had an excuse for why it didn't sound perfect, but mm-hmm. it sounded... Uh, good enough to fool it. I guess, Eduardo, tell us a little bit about sort of like the technical details. Like what do you work on day to day? What technologies, languages, frameworks are you playing with? And how do you try to stay current and keep your team current so that you can make the most of, um, you know, what's going on in this area, but also like you said, stay safe. Yeah. There is a lot of studying happening, a lot of papers being read and summarized. I do use uh-huh. uh, Gen AI to help me summarize some of this stuff because it's just too much information to to be able to absorb, right? Mm-hmm. So I use uh, some LLMs that I have built or commercial ones, and then it'll help me parse some of this data and get me stay up to date with this. And some information comes really fast and is irrelevant really fast because somebody else came up with something cool 
and very innovative to, to solve problems. Uh, so one of them is like, for example, retrieval augmented generation. Uh, one week I'm speaking with my customers on how, like with my organizations, so how to start searching knowledge bases and stuff like that, and how we can put all of this together. And all of a sudden it's like this rack thing coming through and it's pretty cool and it's innovative and we can make it happen. And like, okay, now we can put all of this together a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But in regards to the technology that we're using, I mean, I'm in cloud. So a lot of AWS, UCP services to be able to, to stay up to date. There is a lot of other frameworks like LineChain. It has to be a staple right, right now mm-hmm. for open source and be mm-hmm. able to keep this going. But interesting enough, one of the things that I have noticed is that when you combine generative AI on these foundational models with existing deep learning models, it creates a powerful workflow where it's efficient. You don't have to spend time, too much time deploying it and developing that. Mm-hmm. But you get great results. Mm-hmm. Great results when you are able to leverage these two technologies. So an example is using AWS Comprehend, which is a lot of text analysis and sentiment analysis to be able to parse some of the data and then using a foundational model to now kind of like create a nice response out of that output right. and explain why he had chosen that sentiment for that text mm-hmm. and be able to give an mm-hmm. explanation. And now mm-hmm. you have something really nice, really powerful, where you didn't have to send all that data originally to, to the foundational model. It's just to comprehend and then foundational model. So these are the type of things that I get to play with, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. I get to play day by day. But Is that getting into sort of explainability where the LLM is actually telling you how they got what they got, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, when you are actually using it, you can use the LLM to tell it, hey, can you explain me what you're doing? And when you're doing uh, chatbots, it's very easy for the user to have to do that, but it's good practice to always add it. So organizations can start manipulating some of that prompt uh, before it actually gets into the foundational model to, to give that explanation. Mm-hmm. But also tying it back to that security piece, that's an approach that we're seeing more and more where there is models specific for validation of certain tasks. So for example, on the security side, the output of the service model, if I may say that way, mm-hmm. goes into the input of that audit model and say, hey, and the promise like, is this output comply with the policies that we have or is it giving more information and then that audit model will be able to say yeah or nay and then you take action from that to say okay this output we are not going to send it out right we're going to stop it mm-hmm. and so that's one of the most common like favorite methods right now just because the amount of data that the llms have to process and the knowledge that they have is quite large that it's just not possible to be able to go through every possible scenario Mm-hmm. Right, so using right. another model is, is a good option there. Yeah, Ryan and I had a chat with uh, a medical startup, um, and in a similar fashion, they have it consume all of the research that's coming out, and then you know if you work on a team that needs to be abreast of what the latest, greatest, you know, like tests, lab tests, and research is showing for potential cures, you know, it can easily answer that. And to your point, you know. A lot of this field, more than you know, most people who are working in the world of say like enterprise software, is bleeding edge. It's academic. You know, it's coming out in research papers or you know other things like that. So that's very different from I think what you know people have been used to working with 
in years prior. I guess maybe uh, you should be working on a model to read everything that comes out uh, on Hugging Face and you know give you a quick update and let you know. <laughs> right. Between the Hugging Face uh, AVIX, if I'm pronouncing it right, with all those papers being published all the time. Yeah. And right now with AWS reInvent, the amount of announcements made, I was going through the analogy yeah. yesterday on the AI stuff and I'm like, I feel overwhelmed. Like right now, I need to go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Just think about uh-huh. the trees and not think about computers and technology because this is overwhelming right now. Yeah, that's fun. And, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about the, the sort of prompt hacking stuff that people are using to work around uh, the controls. Is there ways to p- prevent that? Yeah. So the, the first best practice is just like never send an input directly from a user to the LLM or up to the foundational model, right? This is a huge bad idea. It's kind of like thinking, send a query directly to a database. Now we know that that's a big no. That's a prompt to SQL injection. Right. This one is mm. prompt injection. So never do that. You have to manipulate that model somehow uh, to add your own prompt, to add your own context and your own task to it to be able to reduce and mitigate that output and that response for the LLM. The second thing is validate that output. Is it content that has profanity in it? Is it content that is not safe for, for work, that is not safe for, for kids, that is not safe with the policies that you have set up? And something that I have seen that I'm seeing is the concept of security and the concept of responsible AI coming together a lot more, mm-hmm. where they are being tied because a lot of the same techniques need to be used on both. And how do we use AI ethically? It's, a, it's been tied a lot with the security mm-hmm. aspect because um, there is a lot of risk right. in an unethical AI, right? So this the area of being able to say the problem is coming in. I'm manipulating to ensure that there is nothing that is bad coming out and then sending the output to a secondary LLM that will review and then send that to the user. That's one of the, right now, at least, one of the best ways to be able to to mitigate this. Right. You mentioned AWS a few times. I guess, you know, for folks who are listening, we've chatted with a couple of different people that do it, you know, and sort of the, the value proposition being like, we're going to help you get more out of the cloud. We're going to make sure you don't spend too much, you know, and sort of like your savings or our, our savings is kind of the thing that I found really unique and interesting about it. If you were talking to a client now, obviously you, you focus on the security side so we can stay there. But are there other best practices or like kind of general advice that you find people in your cohort are giving where it's sort of like, Hey, I'm coming to you. You know, we know we need to bring some of this technology on board. We don't want to fall behind. We want to make the most of it from our customers, but we're not that familiar with it. Like, where do we even get started? I guess if they were an AWS customer, maybe you'd have some more, you'd know a little bit more about what, where they should get started. Yeah. I mean, whether it's AWS or GCP, some of these advice is, is still relevant. The first thing is go and play with APIs of the LLM on the foundational models. You will see that the interaction is a lot different than you will do from a UI chatbot. Mm. So one of the things is that commercial LLMs right now that are able to create a good interface in front of you uh, have a lot of other parts behind them. Mm. And when you're interacting and creating your model and using Gen AI in your organization, you have to build all of that around it as well to be able to 
make sure that it's secure, that it's ethical, that is actually useful and easy to use for the for the consumer. So my first advice is like go and play with it first. Not every model is the same. You will find that certain models behave better for your area and for your market than others. So mm-hmm. never assume that because it's the latest model is the best. And uh, the other the other big one is that models right now are being categorized based on size of parameters, right? So we have like 7B, 13B, right? Bigger doesn't mean it's better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, you can have a small model that you can either fine tune or create a really good prompt for, and it was going to work amazing for your use case. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, the last advice that I will say with Gen AI is like, Every time, every, since ML has come out, we have said, think about whether actually ML will solve the problem. And same goes uh-huh. with Gen AI. Think about whether Gen AI will solve the problem. Maybe a deep learning model will be more than enough. Um, it's still a lot of the problems that we see is classification problems. Uh-huh. A Gen AI can definitely do it, uh-huh. but it's going to be a lot more expensive than a regular deep learning model, and probably you're going to get very close results in this type of workload. So don't think that Gen AI is the only solution. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a lot of other things that can be applied. Right. It could read all that text and synthesize it for you and pull stuff out, but maybe an older, simpler, far cheaper ML deep learning model could do that way better. Yeah, it can do a classification way better, right? And that's a, one of the things that is still very, very common is classification. Mm-hmm. There is models that are really great at that, which will cost one tenth, one hundredth of what a Gen AI model will cost. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I've read stuff about, um, you know, use boring technology, right? Everybody wants to use the, the latest, coolest thing, but there's tried and true, like you said, classification stuff that, that works fine. If somebody's looking at, you know, Gen AI, what are the boring technologies that they should check out first? Gen AI, the boring technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you are talking about uh, use APIs, managed services. It's going to be a lot easier to begin with, at least from a proof of concept point of view. In AWS, use Petrock, play around with it. There is a lot of great UI for that. Mm-hmm. In Google, you have Palm E2 and Vertex AI that will give you a UI and play around with it too. So those are the boring ones because it's the text, you come back, it, you have good results without thinking about too much and the, how many GPUs am I going to need, how big of an instance, and like, is this model accurate? Why not? You just play around with the prompts, get the feel for it, and then being able to, to do that. Mm-hmm. The other one that goes hand in hand is natural language processing models, which is mm-hmm. deep learning. Mm-hmm. That just because Gen AI is, right now has a lot of focus on text generation. So natural language models of deep learning are kind of like having a little bit of a second wind mm-hmm. of attention because they help with some of these problems as well. So, you know, one of the things that you mentioned early on was that folks have found, right, you know, there, there might be a seven billion parameter model that's been fine-tuned on a specific, you know, data set, which for them is then more useful than, you know, one that's very general that's been trained on 10 terabytes of internet data. Have you experimented at all with putting this thing on a computer at your house or using an open source model that you can sort of play with in your own way? 
Yeah, so one of those is like Llama V2. Download it, so put it on a 7B and start testing it. And of course, the first time you're expecting ChatGPT type of performance where you like say anything, I will give you a great, amazing response. It's not the case. But after a bit of fine tuning, and it doesn't have to be a lot. So in my case, I was able to do a Llama to 7B. I think I did five epochs in the trainer data that I had. And it gave me great results, started giving me way better results, and I started answering some of the questions on the data that I was given. So I was one that I'm like, okay, cool, this is this is great. And the second one was using Langchain with RAC or Retrieval Augmented Generation and a very small model. And although I didn't pre-train the model, I just kind of like later on with a with a connection to to some online content. It actually was pretty good. It actually gave me the, what I what I really like about it is that it gave me the source of the information and tell me this is where I got this. And if I wanted to go deeper, I can either ask for more information or go and take a look at the links. And so that just became yeah. very useful running my laptop. I didn't have to go and pay a very big expensive instance somewhere else or <laughs> have to have a laptop, right? So. Right. Yeah, that's the model that we've talked about trying to implement here at Stack Overflow, one in which, you know, you kind of keep humans still and community still at the center. Let's say you ask a question, we, you know, might give you a synthesis of an answer, but it's also going to take you back to, you know, the questions that it drew on using RAG. And, uh, you know, ultimately, if you want to get to the ground truth or you want to dig a little deeper, you know, you can do that yourself. And so we feel like that's important for, you know, accuracy and trust, but also, you know, for giving credit, um, you know, to the people who helped to generate the knowledge that the machine was trained on. So interesting to hear you about you doing that on your own. Yeah. And that is that last part that you said, um, and that's quite important, giving credit to the people that have been able to come up with the knowledge and help this mm-hmm. uh, model come up. So I think that transparency, it's great when we know where the data is coming from, uh, how, the, how the model was trained and then be able right. to go from there. There's a whole new academic field. Uh, it's called interpretability to see if you can get inside the black box yeah. of the model's head <laughs> and figure out what's going on. So yeah. any uh, aspiring PhD students who are listening, the, it's all greenfield for you. All right, everybody, it is that time of the shout. Let's shout out somebody who came on Stack Overflow, shared a little knowledge and helped the community. Awarded November 22nd to user 34832023. How to create a pandas data frame with a specified number of rows and columns. Appreciate the user who came on and did this. Asked five years ago, 50,000 people have benefited from this question. So if you have it, we'll have an answer for you in the show notes. As always, I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. Find me on X at Ben Popper. Hit us up with questions or suggestions for the program, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you enjoyed the program, leave us a rating and a review because it really helps. Uh, I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find it at stackoverflow.blog. And you can hit me up on X at r4donovan. Hi, my name is Eduardo. And I'm a senior data cloud architect at Duet International. We help customers with their cloud architecture and infrastructure. You can hit me on LinkedIn, MotaEth. And if you want to know more about Duet, you can go to duet.com. All right, everybody, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon.